Part 1, Chapter 6 of Canada's Hundred Days with the Canadian Corps from Amiens to Mont, August 8th through November 11th, 1918. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Canada's Hundred Days by John Livesey. Part 1, Chapter 6. Operations August 8th continued. In years to come, the Canadian historian will be amply repaid for a patient and minute exploration of the Canadian battalion narratives. Written on the field, expressed in the terse and concise language of the soldier, these, when collected together, must form an invaluable body of information, and from that storehouse of tactical movements and isolated acts of gallantry, a complete and detailed picture of every battle in which Canadian troops have taken part can be correctly portrayed. But, even were the materials immediately available, such a work must fill many volumes. And yet all the life and color, the spirit and the essence of battle, is contained superlatively in these annals of the battalion, of the company, and of the platoon, the true infantry fighting unit. And therefore it is proposed within the circumscribed limits of the present volume to incorporate, so far as may be practicable, occasional accounts of the performances of individual units as being typical of them all. As has been seen above, the 3rd Canadian Division had a particularly hard task on our right flank, where the ground was not only extraordinarily difficult, but the plan of the battle imposed that the French attack on our right should be on echelon to our success, if the term may be used rather than parallel to our advance. At the kickoff, the 9th Brigade, Brigadier General D.M. Ormond, was on our extreme right along the Roy Road with the 8th Brigade on the left of the divisional area, in contact with the 3rd Brigade of the 1st Canadian Division, the 7th Brigade being in support. The 9th Brigade had very hard fighting from the start, having to make good along the narrow causeway from Domar. After crossing the Luce, the ground rose up steeply to the edge of the plateau, here intersected by many gullies, swept by heavy machine-gun fire from Dodo Wood on the opposing slope. Owing to the fog, many of the tanks lost direction, and the infantry were left to their own resources. Both the 43rd Battalion, Cameron Highlanders of Winnipeg, and the 116th, Central Ontario, had stiff fighting through the woods, being for a time held up by machine-gun posts. When the mist lifted, however, the tanks put in very effectual work, reducing these strongholds while our intensive barrage prevented the enemy sending up reinforcements. The brigade captured many prisoners and guns of all calibers. This advance was pushed on down the Roy Road through Hammond Wood, where heavy opposition was again encountered, but the troops engaged were not to be denied and secured their objectives on the red line on schedule. On the brigade left, the 58th Battalion, Western Ontario, had very heavy fighting, being confronted by many machine-gun nests. In reducing these, gallant deeds were accomplished. Thus Corporal Harry Garnet Bedford Minor of Ridgetown, Ontario, rushed an enemy machine-gun single-handed, killing the entire crew and turning the gun on the enemy. Later, with two others, he attacked another enemy machine-gun post and succeeded in putting the gun out of action. Although wounded, Corporal Minor refused to withdraw, and rushed single-handed an enemy bombing post, bayoneting two of the garrison and putting the remainder to flight. He was mortally wounded in the performance of this deed. 
On the left of the 9th Brigade, the objectives of the 8th Brigade lay through the village of Angar across the Luce River at Demois. This brigade, Brigadier General D.C. Draper, had been formed in December 1915 from the 1st and 2nd Canadian Mounted Rifle Brigades, when the exigencies of trench warfare demanded the service of every available infantryman, and, unlike the Canadian Cavalry Brigade, continued as infantry throughout the war. It consisted of the 1st, 2nd, 4th, and 5th Canadian Mountain Rifle Battalions, and with it will always be associated the terrific fighting of Sanctuary Wood in June 1916. On the morning of August 8th, the 1st Canadian Mounted Rifles, recruited from the Canadian Prairie West, left off the attack, capturing their objective of Angar Village. The artillery barrage moved at the rate of 100 yards every three minutes, thus allowing the infantry to deal with any enemy encountered. Stubborn resistance was offered in places, but for the most part enemy machine guns and trench mortars had been done in by our artillery fire. Owing to the heavy mist, the tanks assigned in support failed to reach the assembly positions in time to jump off with the infantry, but the barrage had destroyed the wire and the assault was pushed home with relatively slight loss. Indeed, the battalion suffered only 63 casualties, though they captured 375 prisoners besides inflicting heavy casualties. Angar village being gained, the 2nd Canadian Mounted Rifles, a British Columbia unit, leapfrogged over and proceeded to attack Demois, which lay just south of the Luce River in a very strong position, flanked by a high range of hill to the east and south. Canadian engineers, under heavy fire, built a footbridge over the river, and the village was carried after hard fighting. Here the attack was taken up by the 7th Brigade, Brigadier General H.M. Dyer, that had come up in support, and so fast was the assault pushed ahead that each of the two battalions in the line, the 42nd Royal Highlanders of Canada from Montreal, and the 49th from Edmonton, captured an entire enemy battery. Tanks now took part in the advance over the open rolling land eastward, and all objectives were gained on time. The 4th Canadian Division followed the 3rd Canadian Division down the Roy Road, crossing the Luce at Domar, and attacked through the 3rd Division, after the latter had gained its objective of the Mezières-Cailloux Road. The advance was continued, with the 11th Brigade, Brigadier General V. W. Odium on the right, the 12th Brigade, Brigadier General J. H. McBrien on the left, and the 10th Brigade, Brigadier General R.J.F. Hayter, in reserve in the center. Before the infantry jumped off at 12.10 p.m., the cavalry and some tanks had gone through towards the old Amiens defense system. The guns had shot themselves out over the 3rd Canadian Division's advance, and therefore the only artillery support for the troops was that of a few batteries, which had followed them along, coming into action when the advance was held up. The first real opposition came from Beaucourt village, but this was overcome, and our men pushed forward to Beaucourt wood, held by the enemy in force, his very heavy machine-gun fire holding up both our advancing brigades. Here a very gallant infantry attack finally cleared up the situation, and the line went forward once more. Considerable opposition was met and overcome by the 12th Brigade before they finally reached the blue line. On the right, the enemy was making a stout stand at La Guenel, and the fact that here the French were not abreast of us made the situation more difficult, and that evening this village remained in the hands of the enemy. 
The first Canadian division, the Old Red Patch, occupied the center of the Corps line of attack, and in describing its operations, free use will be made of the very interesting narrative of the operations of the division in the battles of 1918, prepared and published by its staff, though considerable condensation is necessary to keep within available space limits. The Valley of the Luce, after bisecting the 3rd Division front, ran in a generally easterly direction for 2,500 yards, made a sharp bend to the northeast for 1,000 yards, and then east again to its source, approximately 14,000 yards from the front line of the 1st Division, or practically the final objective of the first day. For a thousand yards in breadth, in front of our line, lay Angar Wood, strongly fortified by the enemy. To reach the first objective, the Green Line, six thousand yards distant, the troops must attack down a slope, through Angar Wood and the enemy front and support trenches, across a wooded valley known as Morgemont Wood, then capturing the high ground on which was situated the German main line of resistance then through a sharp valley known as Pantaloon Ravine, in which were many machine-gun positions, and finally on to the forward slope of the north bank of the Luce. On the extreme right of the divisional area, a thousand yards short of the Green Line, northeast of Demois, was the little village of Aubercourt. Between the Green and Red Lines on this sector was the Valley of the Luce, heavily wooded and throwing off deep ravines, with the village of Ignacourt on the river 1,000 yards beyond the green line and 2,000 yards short of the red line. The blue line throughout our front followed the old Amiens defense line, a single trench line, disused and shallow for the most part. On the first division front, between the red and blue lines, the frontage narrowed 1,200 yards and offered a depth of 5,000 yards. For the first 3,000 yards was the river, then the considerable town of Caix, and 1,000 yards east, the old Amiens defense line, the final objective. The 1st Canadian Division attacked on a one-brigade front, the tasks allotted being the capture of the Green Line by the 3rd Brigade, Brigadier General G.S. Tuxford, the Red Line by the 1st Brigade, Brigadier General W.H. Griesbach, and the Blue Line by the 2nd Brigade, Brigadier General F.O.W. Loomis. Thus, the attack was to take the form of three separate, distinct blows. The 3rd Brigade attacked with the 16th, 13th, and 14th Battalions in line, and the 15th and 5th Battalions in support, the latter being detached from the 2nd Brigade, detailed to take the final objective if absolutely necessary. Twenty-two tanks supported the brigade in its attack. Three batteries from the machine-gun battalion advanced with the infantry, and at 5.20 a.m., the 2nd Brigade of Canadian Field Artillery followed in support. Little serious fighting took place until the main resistance line was reached. Here in his trenches, the enemy put up a stiff fight, casualties being heavy on both sides, but the Highlanders were not to be denied, and the Green Line was reached well on time. The character of this fighting is illustrated by the heroic deed of Private John Bernard Croke of the 13th Battalion, a native of Glace Bay, Cape Breton. Having become separated from his section, he encountered a machine-gun nest, which he bombed and silenced, taking the gun and crew prisoners. Shortly afterwards he was severely wounded, but refused to desist. Having rejoined his platoon, a very strong point was encountered, containing several machine-guns. Private Croke, however, seeing an opportunity, dashed forward alone and was almost immediately followed by the remainder of the platoon in a brilliant charge. 
He was the first to arrive at the trench line, into which he led his men, capturing three machine guns and bayoneting or capturing the entire garrison. He was again severely wounded, this time mortally. When his company was held up by heavy fire from three machine guns, which were seriously delaying the advance, Corporal James Herman Good of the same battalion, a native of Bathurst, N.B., realizing the gravity of the situation, dashed forward alone, killing several of the garrison and capturing the remainder. Later on, Corporal Good, while alone, encountered a battery of 5.9-inch guns, which were in action at the time. Collecting three men of his section, he charged the battery under point-blank fire and captured the entire crews of three guns. The 13th Battalion, Montreal Highlanders, was recruited in part from the Maritime Provinces. Equally stiff fighting was encountered by the 16th Battalion, Canadian Scottish of Western Canada, and the 14th Battalion, Royal Montreal Regiment. The battalions supporting this successful attack of the 3rd Brigade the 15th, recruited from the 48th Highlanders of Toronto, and the 5th Saskatchewan, had sharp work mopping up, the wood being full of enemy dugouts. The 1st Brigade began to move forward at 5.10 a.m., and at 8.20 crossed the Green Line and carried the attack forward. This brigade also attacked with three battalions in line, the 2nd from Ottawa, the 3rd, recruited from Toronto District, and 4th Central Ontario, with the 1st Western Ontario in support. Its attack was carried out without artillery support, except for the bombardment of distant points by heavy guns. Six tanks were allotted to it, but 18 actually went in, as 12 of the 22 that attacked with the 3rd Brigade were still in action. The objective, the high ground east of Cayeux and the crossings of Luce at this village and at Ignacourt, was secured between 11 and 11.30 a.m., in the meantime, the 2nd Brigade had been marching forward and attacked with the 7th Battalion, British Columbia, and 10th Battalion of Alberta, on the right and left of the Luce River, with the 8th Battalion, recruited from the province of Manitoba, in support, and the 5th Battalion, recruited from the province of Saskatchewan, in reserve. Fourteen tanks advanced with the infantry, of which six reached the final objective. Except on the extreme left, little resistance was encountered by this brigade the enemy being demoralized. The 2nd Canadian Division, on the left of the Canadian line and in liaison with the Australians, launched its attack from a narrow front, but widened out from Marcel-Cave to the north of the Amiens-Chaulne Railway, toward La Motte-en-Santerre, in order to obtain freedom of maneuver for its attack on the towns of Vincourt and Guillaucourt on this railway. It had here to follow high open ground over a plateau cut by deep valleys and resistance was very determined. The 2nd Canadian Division was on a single brigade front, the 4th Brigade in the line, the 5th Brigade behind, ready to pass through, and the 6th Brigade in reserve. The 4th Brigade, Brigadier General R. Rennie, was to capture Marcel Cave and establish a line 500 yards east. With it were two companies of the 14th Battalion Tank Corps, one army brigade of artillery, and two batteries of machine guns. There were also Canadian engineers for investigating and repairing dugouts. The troops moved forward in a mist, and instead of following the tanks, they found it necessary to lead the way. On the right was the 18th Battalion, Western Ontario, with the 19th Battalion, Central Ontario, on the left, in close touch with the Australians. At 6.23 a.m., the barrage lifted from Marcel Cave 
and the troops rushed the village. Its capture was completed by 7.20 by the 19th and 21st battalions, the latter being from eastern Ontario. While leading his battalion into action, Lieutenant Colonel Elmer W. Jones was killed by machine gun fire, the command of the 21st Battalion devolving upon Major H.E. Pence. Meantime, the 18th Battalion had done good work towards Morgemalm Wood. All battalions in the brigade had hard fighting, the 20th Battalion of Toronto, though in support, suffering heavy casualties while mopping up. The 5th Brigade, Brigadier General J.M. Ross, advanced in support of the 4th Brigade. Owing to the very heavy fog prevailing at the kickoff, units of the latter advanced rapidly without encountering opposition, passing in this way over wooded areas where the enemy lay hid until they had gone through. As a consequence, the 5th Brigade, following up at about 6 a.m., ran into heavy and quite unexpected machine gun and rifle fire progress being slow and its units losing heavily in both officers and men. The tanks were on ahead, and the infantry had to fight it out alone. In this way, the 26th Battalion, New Brunswick, Lieutenant Colonel A.E.G. Mackenzie, was badly cut up in Snipe Copes, south of Marcel Cave, losses of officers being very great. A lieutenant, a junior subaltern in his company, found himself in command of it before reaching his objective, and was later recommended for the greatest bravery and skillful leadership, inspiring his men to fresh exertions. So heavy were the casualties in the battalion, that at one time it was seriously checked. The officer commanding, however, gathered together the battalion staff, including cooks and batmen, and led them into the assault, thus saving the situation, and the battalion continued on to its objective. The 24th Battalion, Victoria Rifles of Montreal, of the same brigade, was also in line and lost heavily in the early morning. The tanks suffered heavily as the open, level country made them fair targets once the mist had lifted. The 5th Brigade, in face of stiffening opposition, pushed on its attack and captured its objective of the Red Line, Vincourt and Guillaucourt. All its units had hard fighting, Lieutenant Colonel Weiss of the 25th Battalion, Nova Scotia, being wounded, while the 22nd French Canadians, though in support, had a number of casualties. Towards evening, the 6th Brigade, Brigadier General A. H. Bell, went through the 5th Brigade and captured its final objective, the old Amiens defense line, with the 31st Battalion, Southern Alberta, on the right, and the 29th Battalion, British Columbia, on the left. In close support were the 27th Battalion, Manitoba, and 28th Battalion, Saskatchewan. The fighting was stiff, and the 28th was drawn into it before the blue line was won. Notwithstanding the very hard going, the 2nd Canadian Division thus captured all its objectives on time. Although owing to its prolonged period in the line, it had not had the same months of training in open warfare as our other divisions, its troops proved themselves readily adaptable to the new conditions. The 2nd Australian Division, on our immediate left, made good progress, advancing beside us through Bayonville to east of Harbonniere, but south of the Somme, the 3rd Australian Division was held up a good deal by the failure of the 3rd British Corps to make any substantial progress north of that river. This Corps had been subjected to a heavy attack two days before and had only succeeded on August 7th in regaining ground lost and was in no condition to push with vigor a new offensive on the grand scale. Thus ended the first day of the battle, in which all four Canadian divisions had been engaged, the greatest penetration east of Quay 
representing a depth of 16,000 yards from the jumping-off line, and thus constituting a record first day's advance on the West Front. Over 6,000 prisoners had been captured, exceeding our total casualties, with a vast quantity of guns and material of all kinds, including two complete enemy divisional headquarters, with valuable plans and documents. As had been done at Vimy, where captured batteries had been renamed the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Pan-Germanic batteries, we put to immediate use the captured guns, with their great store of ammunition, but in this case, every gun on our front being captured, two complete pan-Germanic artillery brigades were formed, a colonel of artillery being sent up to take command. Captured documents confirmed what this massing of artillery in the front line indicated, namely, that we had anticipated the enemy offensive against Amiens by two days only. Had it been otherwise, and the line been held lightly but in depth, our captures must have been far less, and we should not have so overwhelmed the defense in our first rush. Tougher writing was ahead. End of Part 1, Chapter 6